The Garden Question is a podcast for people that love designing, building, and growing smarter gardens that work. Listen in as we talk with successful garden designers, builders, and growers, discovering their stories along with how they think, work, and grow. This is your next step in creating a beautiful, year-round, environmentally connected, low-maintenance, and healthy, thriving outdoor space. It doesn't matter if you're a beginner or an expert, there will always be something inspiring when you listen to the Garden Question podcast. Hello, I'm your host, Craig McManus. Doug Scott's path to his own landscape design firm is anything but typical. After earning a BA degree from Vanderbilt University and an MBA from Emory University, he worked with several consulting firms. In his spare time, Doug fed his true passions for family, the outdoors, and all things regarding landscape design. He began creating outdoor living spaces for his friends that reflected how they wished to live. The positive family impacts encouraged him in his leap of faith in starting an exterior design studio called Redeem Your Ground. Doug completed Emory University's landscape design program to complement his personal experience along with his natural abilities in design and engagement of clients. The why behind Doug's efforts have not gone unnoticed. Redeem Your Ground and his family's story have been featured in both Southern Living Magazine and a TV episode of Growing a Greener World. The Scott's Family Home and Garden blog has also been voted Best New Blog at the 2015 Bloggers Conference. This is Episode 31, Are Backyard Chickens Worth It? with Doug Scott on the Garden Question Podcast. You're invited to ask your garden design, build, or grow question at thegardenquestion.com. Not only do you get a chance to ask your own question, but you might inspire the next episode of the Garden Question Podcast. So go to thegardenquestion.com and ask your question. Doug, is raising backyard chickens worth it? I think so. It accomplishes those things that my family and I wanted to do as kind of really the whole objective of Redeem Your Ground. It's all about what brings life to you and your family. For me, the answer is yes, but I'm not going to suggest that the right answer to everybody is a yes, because they're a lot of work. But once you get them established, they're a lot less work than other animals that you might have roaming around your home or your house. They bring us a lot of joy. We have them all named. We consider them more pets than farm animals. They all have different personalities and they bring us eggs, <laughs> which is really kind of the bonus. Sounds like a lot of benefits there for your family. Yeah, it's awesome. How have your children responded to them? Well, we've had them for like probably going on nine or 10 years now. I have an 18-year-old and 15-year-old, both daughters, and they were eight and five. It was like a petting zoo. They loved to get out there. They loved helping me build the coop. They loved helping me feed them and, and always go and gather the eggs. Once the newness wore off, one of my daughters seemed to be less interested than the other. My younger one is the one that continued to kind of be a part of our chicken raising. But the older one, um, who really wasn't into the day-to-day or the week-to-week, she is the one that whenever we have friends over, she loves to kind of be the hostess with the mostess and bring the little kids or bring the parents down there to introduce them. All of our chickens are names, Eloise and Tahini and Penny and all the others. And they love handling them, which I think my oldest loves to kind of show off that she's not afraid of chickens. And a lot of people are. They've really enjoyed it. Now, as they've gotten older, they've been less and less involved as their lives have gotten busier. Having chickens has kind of become part of who we are as a family, as odd as that sounds. 
I think my daughter for one of her college essays, or maybe it was an interview she went on and um, something she had to fill out a form or whatever, and just tell us something interesting about you. And she talked about our having chickens. It certainly has made an impact on our lives. A lot of people think that having chickens, it can't be really a pretty place and they're messy and they're loud. And we have found that that's not the case. All chickens or hens, no roosters. And it's really the roosters that are the loud ones. When I designed the area where our coop was, I made sure that it was attractive to begin with. And it was something that would be easily maintained because I wanted it to be a place where we could hang out. And we have string lights strung up over there. We have a little picnic table. I have a potting bench over there. The whole area is kind of a cool place to hang out. They are messy and they eat a lot. They dust bathe a lot and they poop a lot. So you have to kind of keep control over that kind of stuff. If you've been smart with your design and smart with having place to store your food or store your supplies, having easy access to water, they're not difficult to keep up. We've loved it. Give us a couple of examples of smart design that you've implemented there with your chickens. They can be really, really dirty. You need to make sure that in your design that you have easy access to clean out the coop. It's not more of a chore than it has to be. In my coop, I can actually walk in it. That makes it incredibly easy. I basically have access to everything. The back of the nesting box where they lay their eggs can fully take off the back and have full access to it so it can be cleaned very easily. Now, a lot of people don't have coops that they can step into. They still need to consider every so often they're going to need to get in there and completely clean things out. They'll need to be able to have access to that to where they're not having to reach real far in to get to the dirty little nook and crannies because that ultimately won't be that sustainable because it'll be too much of a pain. One of the first things in a good coop design is having maintenance and cleaning things in mind so that it can be easily cleaned so you'll be able to move forward and having them and not dread every time you have to clean something out. So that's one thing. The other thing is having a place where you can store your food, store any of the supplies, because if you have your coop on the far end of your house and then you have all the supplies in your garage, it's when you're at the coop to discover, oh, I need to do X, Y, and Z. If it's not there to be able to do X, Y, Z, well, then you may not do it. And then if you may not do it, well, then it kind of gets ahead of you. And then having chickens is nasty and a pain, right? Thinking of a place to where you can store all that stuff. You're going down there all the time to check on food and to feed them. Food is not as difficult to find a place to store making sure you have access to water, especially on cold days. You always need to make sure that the chickens have fresh water. Initially, I did not have a hose nearby. Found out very quickly that that was not very fun. Take out the water and carry it all the way over to the other side of the yard where I had a hose. Since then, within a couple of years, I went ahead and had a new hose bed put over near the chicken coop. Another thing is I tried to design it so that it looked like it was kind of an extension of my home. I considered paint colors and chose the style and the, the roof line, all that kind of stuff. It sounds kind of silly, but but all that makes it feel like it's intentional. The more intentional it feels, the more comfortable I think you feel that you are in that space. So that's that's kind of the aesthetic, the design side is looking at the house and having it reflect that and the functional aspects of maintenance and storage. You mentioned earlier the personalities of the chickens. Yeah. You don't have to get to all of them's personalities, but several of them. You'd be amazed that once you start raising chickens, a lot of different phrases and idioms that people talk about or use in everyday language sometimes comes from chickens. 
significant, like pecking order. Pecking order truly is a thing. And there is a pecking order within my flock. Mm -hmm. You you would think, oh, well, maybe it's the biggest. We've had a number of different chickens that come and go and they live and they die. Regardless, really, of the time, most of the chickens that are kind of the top of the pecking order are usually not the biggest ones. They are some of the kind of medium to small size. I'm not suggesting that they will always be, but in my case, they were. And I think that that might have to do more with the breed than it does anything else. There are a number of breeds that I have found that are just friendlier. Ginger for one, some of my hens, one named Mabel. It's like that puppy that's like, oh, daddy's here, daddy's here. And they come running to the gate where others will kind of be skittish and run off to the corners, <laughs> um, don't want to be held. Some of them I can put on my shoulder and they'd like to just sit there. Others, I can barely catch them to even hold them. I think a lot of that has to do with the breed. I also think a lot of that has to do with when we first get them, did we raise them as chicks? Did we get them when they were pullets, which is really kind of a teenage chicken? And when we got them, did we spend more time or less with them? That's what I've found that those are the ones that are friendliest. They're a lot of fun. Just to watch them interact, there are cliques. They're friends that hang out with each other. They're the same friends that will sit on the same rung night sleeping uh, next to each other. There certainly is kind of a social structure and relationships there. You've talked about bringing a new chick in or a new pullet. How are they accepted into the flock? For me, when I first built my coop, my girls also had bunnies. My coop actually is two-thirds chicken coop. There's a chicken wire divider that separates the other third. And initially, that third had the bunnies in it. We no longer have bunnies, and I have cut a hole in the chicken wire wall. And now they go back and forth. But when I get a new pullet, you have to wait until they're of a certain size to introduce them into the flock. When they're pullets, I will literally leave them on the bunny side of the chicken coop for be weeks. After they've been there for a while, I'll let them free range together. Really just kind of step into it. It's when they first get in a space together, that pecking order really is obvious. I don't know that I've ever introduced just one pullet into my flock. It's usually two or three at a time. They always kind of have a friend to kind of run away with when they're being chased by the bigger girls. You sometimes want to go and fend off the aggressor unless they're just pummeling them. You really need to let nature run its course because it's going to. So you may as well let it happen within a few days to a week. The top of the pecking order is certainly letting the new guys know that they're still on top. It's a a family, a new flock. What kind of benefits are you seeing in your garden with chickens? It's all about having a full environmental biosphere, having them out there free ranging. They're constantly scratching the ground. They're eating the weeds. They're eating bugs. I think that we've benefited a good deal from just them being birds in a space that's allowing my yard to reflect nature a little bit better than a a more sterile kind of environment. I have chosen plants that seem to be less attractive to them because I have a fairly big yard that has a lot of variety. They really do tend to graze. If I had a small space that didn't have much variety, I think they would probably just go to town on certain plants, but they really don't seem to really decimate any one plant. Chosen plants that aren't as tender, a lot of holly fern, the leaves that are a little tougher. If something's out of reach and it may look attractive to them, but they can go forage somewhere else, oftentimes, maybe it's just my my girls are lazy, but they just kind of keep walking. I do sometimes choose like in the early spring where everything's kind of emerging, I kind of keep them in the coop and there's a run that's attached to our coop that they can go back and forth. I leave them in there for several weeks, actually. It's still big enough for them to remain healthy and to be able to move around. They don't have free reign because I don't want them to chew up all my hostas and they will go get to the hostas. (laughs) Hostas are like a salad bar to them. I wait till the hostas are are mature and not as tender and therefore not as attractive and, and we're good. What else do they like? Anything that's tender and low to the ground while they're sitting there and scratching. They seem to be okay with parking on my Creeping Jenny and just keep eating it. 
So they have their coop, they have their run, and then there's this kind of other area that's probably 20 by 50 that I can let them go and walk around in. They'll really eat anything in there if I leave them out there too long. We have ferns in there and they'll eat the ferns, especially when they're little fronds as they're uncurling. The azaleas, they'll eat the azaleas. They really will eat most anything, but if you allow them enough space to just kind of be curious and scratch, they'll just keep walking. And I haven't noticed that they've destroyed anything. You can read online that a lot of people say that I just can't have chickens because they're destroying my yard. I haven't had that experience. The larger the spice, the, the more. Yeah, but they're foragers, right? They just keep moving. You'll find them just walking around your yard and find a sunny spot. The first time I saw them sunning themselves, like, oh my gosh, Penny is dead <laughs> because she literally, you know, had wings spread out in the dirt. Nope. She was just maximizing her sun exposure. It's like chicken TV. You can go out there and it's like watching the fire kind of get mesmerized by watching their fun. Do you derive any soil benefits from the chickens? Do you compost your poop or what? I use the deep litter method, which is a way that really it's beneficial to them, basically continuing to layer in pine shavings in their coop itself. And then I turn that pine shavings. So effectively I'm composting their poop into the pine shavings. We don't compost anything else like in a compost pile. We do bring them basically all of our scraps the exception of any meat product, cheese or anything like that, because that will attract rats. Anything else that you would normally compost, we collect in a little compost pail on our kitchen counter, and then we bring it out to them. We are effectively composting, but it is going through their system first. <laughs> the deep litter method, it allows you to not have to clean out the coop as often, only like once or twice a year. I don't take all of the pine shavings out. I always leave a little bit because there's a lot of good stuff happening at the bottom of the deep litter that's in there. I'll take the majority of it out and then I'll put that in a pile on the other side of my fence and it basically is composting and I'll use that around my yard. When we had bunnies, they poop a lot. I would throw that out into my garden um, and my flowers. Bunnies poop won't burn plants. Other than the destruction of the plants, is there any other, I guess, a negative side or challenging side to the to chickens? <laughs> You do have to stay on top of it. It's a lot less than I would say other animals. When you go out of town, you don't have to find a doggy motel for them. You just ask a neighbor to come by and we'll pay them, but then we'll also pay them in eggs. And everybody likes to say they have farm fresh eggs. When we have people over, we need to make sure that all the gates always shut if they're free ranging. That's nothing compared to what I think the value that they bring. On two sides, we have small little creeks. We know that we have coyotes that travel up and down those creeks. I feared that as soon as they smelled chickens, that we would have coyotes that are smacking their lips just outside our fence. And we really haven't. We've had them for eight, 10 years, and we have lost two, not to coyotes though. We believe that they were from either a possum or a raccoon because of the way in which they were killed. We really haven't had a problem with coyotes or fox. We don't see them actually any more than we did before we had chickens. This is my experience. I think if you went online and read, um, there's a lot talked about the different animals that want to come and eat your chickens. I just have had good luck. Do have a good canopy of trees. You don't have hawks that can swoop down, get them. Canopy kind of covers. I have a lot of plant material. My chickens, when they're out free ranging, they can easily scurry into a covered spot. All those things are factors that have worked to my favor. Favor and my flock's favor. I guess this is different everywhere, but the governing bodies like the city, 
counties or the homeowners association, how do they accept chickens to a subdivision? I don't live in a neighborhood that has a HOA. That is oftentimes one of the biggest hurdles. And that hurdle is after you have gotten over the hurdles of um, whatever other local jurisdiction, either be it a city or county. First thing that anybody that is considering to have chickens to understand what the local ordinances are. And they're fluid. Some counties or jurisdictions are moving towards being more chicken friendly or farm animal friendly, usually about chickens. Others are moving in the other direction. You just have to do your homework as best you can. Regulations, uh, rules around the number of chickens. My county in Georgia, it's based on the size of your property. I don't believe that you can have a rooster where I live. I don't want one. Even if I did, I couldn't because I don't live on two acres. Number of hens that you have is based on the square footage of your property. Where you place your chicken coop, there's regulations about that. There's an application you fill out and you, in a sense, you get a variance for having them. And it's always helpful to have neighbors that like the idea of your having chickens. All that's different depending on what county you're in. We're in a metro area county. And I would imagine as you kind of step out of the metro area in a more rural area that may be a little bit more lenient. And then you're dealing with what probably is most restrictive is your neighborhood's HOA. I live in a 60s ranch neighborhood. We don't have an HOA. Let's just say you get some new chickens in. What happens if you get a rooster by mistake? Our first five pullets, two of the five ended up not being pullets, but cockerels. We have some friends that live on two acres in another part of the county, and she had always been looking for the type of chicken that we had. Her name was Lily when we got her, but we found out that Lily was really Lyle. So <laughs> Lyle was a silky, which is kind of an interesting, it's like the poodle of chickens. She wanted it. So we gave that one to our friends. There are a lot of chicken groups on Facebook. I think we ended up posting it there. People are are looking for chickens. Within a day of posting that we had a, a cockerel that we needed to get rid of, we had people calling and, and it was gone. It's kind of like when you have to get rid of a dog and you're like, oh, little Sally, they went to the farm that has lots of land and same kind of thing. You find people that have farm and land and it really hasn't been a problem. Since then, when we do get new pullets, there are a number of them that you're almost guaranteed just because they're called sex link. You know that if it's like a golden comet or whatever, you know if they're of a certain color, even as little chicks, they're going to be females. And if they're of another color, they're going to be a male. You're pretty much guaranteed there. I go to our local feed and seed and they're really, really good at sexing the chicks. And I haven't had a problem since really the first time, those first five. What breed do you like the most or have you had? I've had a number and it all depends on what you're looking for in a chicken. My wife loves uh, Plymouth Bard Rocks. They're the ones that have kind of a black and white speckled feathers and then they have a red comb. So she really likes that red, white, and black. They're really just kind of the quintessential look of a chicken. That's what she likes about our chickens is the look of the chicken itself. We also have Easter eggers. I have found personality wise are a little bit more skittish. I think they're really kind of cool looking. They look more like a hawk, certainly look like a chicken, but they look like a cross between a hawk and a chicken. People mostly have Easter eggers. They lay green or blue ish eggs. The objective there would be that your farm fresh eggs have a variety of colors. You have brown eggs, which most of the chickens we have have brown eggs. Um, and then we also have our blue and green eggs. That's another reason why people buy different varieties is because of their shell color of their eggs. And then other reasons are certain breeds are known to be in the same kind of category of egg 
some breeds are known to be more eggs per year than maybe another breed. I like that my chickens lay eggs. It's not like for egg production. So I really haven't even investigated to say, well, which ones of mine have been the best egg layers? I've never bought them for that reason. But I have bought different breeds because they're known to be more of kind of a family friendly breed. Two that I will typically go for to achieve that objective are the Buff Orpingtons, which is kind of a medium to large size chicken. I call it kind of like the golden retriever of chickens. They tend to have just a really sweet temperament. Golden Comets, they're one of those sex links. They're also very friendly and good egg layers. You can spend a lot of time online and find a lot of good resources. Temperament, blah, blah, blah. Egg size, blah, blah, blah. Egg color, blah, blah, blah. It goes back to, well, what are you looking for in your flock? Are you looking for a lot of eggs? You're looking for colorful eggs? You're looking for friendly chickens, big chickens, little chickens. I like to look outside my kitchen window and see the variety of chickens. So we have big white ones and we have some darker ones and some brown ones and the speckly ones. I like the variety of my flock. Do you order them online or do you get them from the local feed and see? I've never ordered them online, but I have a lot of friends that have. I've typically gotten them from the local feed and see. We have one that I trust close by and I've gotten to know, can get a heads up as to what's coming and when so I can go get them. There's also a, a farm just outside of Atlanta, kind of in the more rural area, but still in Metro Atlanta that carries two of the breeds that we like. I know that I can get a quality pullet from him. Once you kind of get into having chickens, there's a community. If you can't find a chicken or if you want a chicken, you go onto one of those Facebook pages and usually people are trying to find a home for or looking for a home for or where do you find X, Y, and Z? And they'll say, oh, we'll try this breeder or this family. Why would somebody want to raise chickens? The whole purpose of Redeem Your Ground is to bring life to you and your family. For us, the time that we got chickens, we had young girls. It was actually a year or two before I launched Redeem Your Ground. Leading up to that, I was doing a lot more of this redeeming my own ground. The year prior, we created this beautiful potager garden. So we were having more fresh vegetables and I was starting to exercise more and eating a lot of eggs. Kind of the next step for healthy living, but also making sure that our girls had a good understanding understanding of where real food came from. My wife suggested that we get chickens. That's really kind of our why. It would bring us outside more. It was something that was entertaining for the girls and really kind of educational. When they leave to go off to college and have families of their own, we really kind of want them to have a good perception of where real food comes from. That was our why. TheGardenQuestion.com is an awesome website because we expand each podcast episode with accurate resources and links for gardeners. You can also listen to every single episode again as many times as you like. Think of it as an extension of the podcast at TheGardenQuestion.com. You're a garden designer. What do you wish people would do differently when designing, building, or growing a garden or landscape? It's a good question. It's actually probably phrase it differently when I'm working with a client. That's one of the first questions I would ask a client. What is it that you want to do outside? And really kind of park there, challenge them to really ask the question, well, what will bring me life outside? And really spend time doing that before you start making decisions on, well, I want to put plants here and plants there and you know this, that, the other. And oftentimes that is informed by what other people may be doing before they've really kind of really considered well, what is it that I want to do outside? What is it that brings me life outside? I find that if you just really kind of park and have a conversation that kind of forces them to pause a little bit before going headlong into trying to keep up with the Joneses, they really start to find their sweet spot. And their sweet spot often is different than the Joneses. Too often, I think people do what they see everybody else having done. At the end of the day, it may be the opposite of bringing life to them. 
Your company's name is Redeem Your Ground. What does Redeem Your Ground mean? My story getting into landscape design is probably different than a lot of people's. I had this whole professional career in consulting and sales training and all that beforehand. When I was in that world, I spent a lot of time outside building things and doing things in my yard. The reason why I did that, it was because at times when life was stressful, it was the thing that de-stressed me. It was kind of my medication. When life was good, it was where I wanted to be outside doing things with my family at home. My wife and one of my daughters, their home is really kind of where they just can be. So that's real special. We're all active. We all like to be outside. I spent a lot of time doing that outside and friends and family took notice and asked me to kind of help them do the same. There's a lot more to the story of me leaving corporate America and launching Redeem Your Ground. At the end of the day, I effectively asked myself if this is something that I can naturally do and am gifted at doing and I can make a career of it, I need to try to do that. The name Redeem Your Ground came from what I have done. I live in an old 60s ranch and it was completely overgrown. It would be difficult to find life out there. I mean, it was a lot of life, but but, it, but everything was being taken over, right? We couldn't live much out there because of the poison ivy and just nasty. So I redeemed it. What Redeem Your Ground is all about is helping others redeem their ground like I did mine. My wiring or my gifting or my call or however you want to phrase it, I feel like I can uniquely see the potential of people and spaces. Hear me talk about parking with the family and kind of having conversations with them and really getting a sense from them on what it would mean to bring life to them outside and then coming up with a design to reflect that in their outdoor spaces. That's what Redeem Your Ground means. And I think there's this aspirational aspect to the name, Redeem Your Ground. People, when they get married or when they buy their first house or when they have their first kids, they have all these dreams of what could happen at home. And then life happens. And then a lot of that doesn't happen. What my hope is, is that I have help redeem their ground, redeem their dreams for their family. There's this kind of aspirational sense that is truly part of the name and really kind of the hope that I have for the clients that I work with. It's not just my design clients. That's anybody that interacts with my website. Anything that's on my website is all about helping them with information, giving them license to just get out there and try something and don't worry about failing. That's all about getting outside and bringing life to your family out there. Can you give us an example of how that's worked? Certainly. One of my very first projects where I actually got graph paper and tried to put down on paper for the first time something that was in my head for this family. Their yard was similar to ours and that they've lived in that they had three wonderful kids, very active family, very active, three young kids. It truly was dangerous (laughs) to step off their deck, live like this for years. The mom asked me to come over and help them with theirs. I got to know them and looked at their spaces, got a sense of what they want to do out there and, and design something and fast forward to after the installation of their lawn space, installation of their play space, installation of their pottager garden. One of my favorite, and maybe one of the things that kind of pushed me towards launching Redeem Your Ground officially was that she took a picture of her kids playing in her yard, playing in the sprinklers actually out of her window. And she just said, thank you. This is how it should have been for years now. And you allowed this to happen for me and my family. That was my first client. I would say that that is not unique. They're just all different. It's all about what life means to them. Right. You're getting people engaged again outdoors, Mm -hmm. finding not only life out there, but finding a new life out there within themselves. Yep. How does that drive your design philosophy for a garden or landscape? I feel like a lot of my design time prior to putting pen to paper 
is spending it with them and talking through what they say they want versus what I've heard that they may want. Kind of getting a sense of like, oh, I love pretty and I love this. And we talk about, well, you have no son and you can't do that. You kind of bring in the reality, but you do it in a way that it's like, but we can do X, Y, and Z the way that it drives it. If you go on my website, you see that I have a representative of aspect of life that you could have outside. Grow is kind of how I've kind of sub-branded that those things that you grow plant-wise that are pretty to look at and that you enjoy walking through and looking at from your home. The harvest is growing things that you would eat. The rays are raising chickens or bees or bunnies or, you know, those things that are live. Gather is another one that those are about living spaces. Play obviously is play. And that's really kind of around activity. Getting to kind of thinking through those zones or those kind of sub brands, it really helps me figure out, okay, those actually become zones of your yard. Where can we place those zones, those things that you want to do out there that they will survive, right? So if they want a vegetable garden, but they have a shaded yard, well, that's going to be a challenge. And so we have to talk through that. Those zones really then start trying to say, okay, how can I bring all those things together in a way that doesn't look kludgy, that looks natural? Compare that to what is the space out there. Well, then the design really starts to kind of take shape. This needs to go over here because it's sunny. This needs to go over here because it's close to the house. Those things really kind of drive where these elements go. Then it's about connecting those spaces with paths and with plant material. It really starts with what is it that you want to do out here and what really can be done out here in sustainable fashion. Like if you have a fire pit out there, we need to talk about, well, where are you going to put your wood? How far away is it? Do you really want to go that far? Or do you really want to go that far? Because you want it to be kind of an informal space and it's really kind of a kid hangout space versus, oh, no, no, that's going to be me and my wife and we want it to be close. That drives where you put things. Storage. You can't forget about storage kids with a bunch of plastic items. You can't think about living spaces without storage because you have cushions and you have things that you want to do out there and you don't want it to be on the other side of the house because then you probably won't go outside that often. It's a chore to get everything assembled get as easy as possible to assemble and do that out there. Those are all things that you need to consider when designing. What's your earliest garden memory? It wasn't until I owned my first house that I remembered or recalled how much I enjoyed being in my yard, gardening with my mom, being outdoors. My dad's a big hunter, fisherman. And so just being outdoors was something that I tapped into those roots, pardon the pun, once I owned my first house and was spending time out there. Really kind of being outside and creating spaces with my mom, with sets of my grandparents, were either farmers or gardeners. My earliest memories are really just kind of being and creating with my family, which is why I think that it early on, as in when I first bought my house, it enlivened a part of me that had kind of gone to sleep as life got on. It's also why it's special to me that I can walk through my yard right now and point to the cast iron plant that I got out of my grandmother's yard in Sanford. I can point to the Annabelle hydrangeas over there that were my mother-in-laws who were her mother-in-laws that are now my daughter's great great grandparents. There's certainly this family connection is kind of at the core of why I got into this. In your professional career, who's been your biggest influencer? You know, I'm 53 years old, but I've only been doing this for nine years. I would say initially the same people that I just mentioned as being part of my family. I mean, they certainly were influencer of mine. My mom still to this day, we have different styles, but she's still an influencer. But professionally, I would say it has to be professors or facilitators of the design course that I took when I was kind of considering leaving corporate America. And that's Holly Brooks and Eric King with King Landscaping. They really kind of showed me the ropes 
scopes. They gave me the language. They gave me license to try. And they're just really, 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 really good at what they do. Fortunately, I think we have a similar style and we have a similar set of reasons of why we do what we do. Particularly with Holly, she has two daughters just like I do. And hers were just a little bit younger than mine. As parents, we really get a lot out of helping other families do what we've done for our family. Holly and Eric are by far, from a professional perspective, the, had the strongest influence on me. What is your most valuable garden mistake? I think the most valuable garden mistake is getting out there and just trying and recognizing that if it was a mistake, it's not that big of a deal. <laughs> I mean, in, in a lot of ways, particularly when it comes to plants, I have azaleas and hydrangeas that are in my front or backyard that have been probably five different places. That's okay. I planted them in the wrong spot multiple times, <laughs> but I found that it could be done and I didn't allow waiting for perfection to allow me to get outside and do something. It wasn't a big deal. I just moved them. That was really valuable to me. And I think that it allows me to kind of communicate to my clients, either my do-it-yourselfer clients or even my non-do-it-yourselfer clients. Let's get started. If we have to change the design once we get on site because we discover something else, that's great. That's fine. Let's do it. And over time, trees are going to grow or trees are going to die and the growing environment is going to change. And that's okay. That's mother nature. We'll need to change something then. But like right now, let's Let's get started. So I think that's probably the most valuable thing is being okay with making mistakes. Because if you're waiting to not make a mistake, you're probably never going to start. And it's all about getting outside and do it. You've described your garden somewhat in that you've got the chickens and you've got these various plants. Mm -hmm. And But now I want you to tell us something new. I would like for you to complete this statement. In my garden, I have. In my garden, I have been able to pull everything together that draws not only my family outside more, but whenever we have people over, they feel welcome, they feel comfortable, and they just want to be there. That is a combination of a lot of the things that I've talked about. That's from my potager garden, which is not just about growing the vegetables. It's about a cool space to hang out in as well. It's the chicken coop that has an area to sit and hang out because... I'll sit and hang out with the chickens longer if I have a comfortable place to sit. It's tree swings. It's little kind of nooks to kind of sit in an Adirondack chair. Beyond that, it's just a really peaceful place to be. We have redeemed our ground and created this oasis that we enjoy being in and so do others. What are your future plans for your garden? So I just mentioned my potager garden. That was potager garden 1.0. We had to take a tree out. When we took a tree out, it was a good thing. And that, that was right next to our potager garden. We were able to open up more sunlight. And we are also able to expand what will be our potager garden. So right now, we basically just have a real big pea gravel area that is waiting to be developed. It served well because we've had a daughter graduate and says we've hosted parties and there have been set of the Pottinger Garden. We've had cornhole and all kinds of festivities happen in that area. The, the Pottinger Garden 2.0 will happen this next year. It will be about creating spaces to grow fruits and stuff and vegetables that we want to eat, but also do it in a way that it will also be a cool place to hang out. Um, so it'll really be a gathering spot as well. And it's about double the size that I had before. So I'm excited about that. It takes time and it takes money and we're stepping into it and enjoying what it is now. It sounds to me the thing that you've got going is that you want to absorb that area in a space to sit and relax. 
it's about living there as best you can and kind of being in a spot. I mean, oftentimes when I'm working with clients that have small kids, they talk about a play area for their kids. It always seems to be kind of a novel idea to them for me to suggest, well, in this play area, we need a place for you to sit. And they're like, uh, yeah, because otherwise, especially if they're young kids, moms or dads standing there with their arms crossed, kind of tapping their toe after 15 minutes, ready to go inside. But the kids not even begun to be ready to go inside. If you create a little spot, give them a couple chairs, mom and dad want to just hang out there or mom and mom want to just hang out there. Kids are happy. So yeah, I think you're right. I think it's about being able to be in the space rather than just kind of passing through the different spaces. I have redeemed every inch of my yard and some inches several different ways as life has changed. Oh yeah. That's the good thing about gardens. They're flexible. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yep. Unless no you doubt. got a big oak tree that you want to move. Oh gosh. That's the nightmare we're dealing with now. We have three amazing oak trees in our front yard. One of which we have this awesome swing, that old classic, just two ropes hanging down with a board. Mm -hmm. The oak tree, it probably hangs 60 feet, but it's so inviting and it tells neighbors that pass by, welcome, come on in. It has a message. One of the three is half dead. Another one of the three is dying and will be dead in the next two years, leaving this one that's going to look really weird without the other two. We are having to get rid of three wonderful oak trees and it saddens us all. They only have certain lifespan. They do. So now I have to just look forward to what I can do there without three huge oak trees. You can start some other trees for the next generations because yep. somebody had to plant those trees that you've enjoyed. Exactly. Probably three generations back. Oh yeah, it's exactly that actually. It may be, it's probably three or four. Our house was built early 60s. We bought the house from the granddaughter of the original owner. And there were three generations of that family here. They all lived here all at once. They planted those three oak trees. Now we're just going to have to, like you said, consider the next several generations. My girls aren't allowing us to even think about moving. So <laughs> I'm good with that. Home is a special place to us. Tell us a funny garden or landscape related story. Not a funny story. It's the fun that things bring. We have three different swings in our yard. We have that one that I just mentioned um, in the oak trees in the front yard, but then we have a tire swing and then one of those kind of platform baskety swings. You wouldn't think it. Or I didn't think it, especially as my girls got older. I didn't think they'd enjoy them as much, but one daughter had her sweet 16 out here and there were 20 or 30 kids that were lined up to be on the swing. They just so enjoyed it. And then I put my, my mom or my older sister on the front swing and that is funny because all they do is laugh and have to run in because they're about to, well, I'll, I'll stop there. <laughs> <laughs> One funny thing, um, and it was also kind of lesson learned. I've spoken a lot about my potager garden and that started actually after we had our second child and our daughter and my wife signed my older daughter and me up. And I think at the time she was either four or five. She signed us up for the Atlanta Botanical Garden family gardening seminar or whatever. And I thought I was going to come home with a proverbial sweet potato or a lima bean in a cup. I came home with literally 70 seedlings and I have a shady yard. Where am I going to put these things that my daughter and I just birthed? Really, the only place that was sunny enough was really at the end of my driveway. The next weekend, I rented a jackhammer and I was going to go and try to jackhammer my 1960s into my driveway out. Eight hours later and 10 bloody knuckles later and about an inch of a one by one square of that driveway was gone. And trying to save money, I spent a lot of extra money because I then had to have a buddy that knows how to drive a backhoe and he had it out of here like in two hours. The lesson learned there is know your limits. <laughs> Ha, 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 ha.
Do you have a favorite plant? If you were to judge my favorite plants by the number of them I have in my yard, it would certainly be, from an evergreen perspective, it would be the Gigi Gerbing Azalea. I'm a big green and white kind of clean look, and they're just a very utility player, and they're easily transplanted. I like the few weeks a year that they are that clean green and white, and they just serve a good backdrop to the plant that I have the most of is our hydrangeas. We have a hundred different hydrangeas and different varieties, and, and so I think that's probably would be my favorite in general, the big mop heads, we have all the limelights, little lime, bobos, we have a ton. The hydrangeas would be my favorite, which is good because my wife likes them as well. Doug, tell us about Redeem Your Ground and how people may connect with you. I want to help families get outside and redeem the ground that's outside their front and back doors so that it brings life to them and their family. As I get to know them to do that, that's how my design starts to evolve is to get to know the family, get to know what really brings life to them. And then that will allow me to incorporate those aspects of life into their backyard and their front yard. A lot of the life is usually in the backyard. A lot of people really kind of restrict their sense of what home is to what's inside the walls. Right. What I try to help people understand and then eventually live out is that you really your home extends way out into your yard beyond your walls. So it's all about creating outdoor spaces that reflect how you want to live. RedeemYourGround.com is my website. It serves as basically my company website, but it's also a family home and garden blog. My wife and I have blog posts out there, but there's a lot of other different resources that we've found helpful as we've redeemed our ground, all in hopes of helping people get outside and do something. You can find us on Facebook, on Instagram, on Pinterest. It's either going to be under Redeem Your Ground or RYG blog. This has been episode 31. Are backyard chickens worth it? With Doug Scott on the Garden Question Podcast. Doug, you're awesome. The goal is that every episode is valuable and well worth your time. Please generously share the Garden Question Podcast with your friends, relatives, and neighbors. Check out our website, thegardenquestion.com, for links, resources, and where you can listen to every episode again and again. You will not want to miss a weekly episode, so please subscribe to the Garden Question Podcast with Craig McManus on your favorite listening app. Keep on designing, building, and growing a smarter garden that works.